When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Kennedy Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Allison, and joined again for part two of this fascinating Mississippi Delta visit episode is my friend joining me, Ryan Pryor. Thanks again Hi. for joining me. Hi, how are you? I realized last episode we didn't tell people what we were drinking. We got to tell oh. them. Oh, so hey. I've got I... a little red. Oh, go ahead. Oh, 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 my bad. No, you go first. You're the guest. I have a, as usual, as it's a Thursday night, so it's casual. So a little bit of red wine. Mm-hmm. After almost being done with a long week, um, after I'm done with this, I'm going to have to go make a quiz. Um, <gasps> Can and, I make it? Well, Let me make it. Have you read chapter 1.3 of the U.S. government textbook on open stacks? You bet I have. <laughs> I doubt it. So no. no I have not. Uh, but um, but I will tell you about I it. I probably how, didn't how it even read later. it when I was in that class. <laughs> I probably skimmed it and then I doubt, I doubt you did. During the test. I doubt you did. I <laughs> yeah. doubt you did. I am drinking a whiskey sour made with Jack Daniels and a nice little cherry in it. So, I cheers. love a good cherry. Let me get, let me get a a cheers and let's take a pick for the gram. How about it? Ready? Cheers. Oh, you look so distinguished. I am distinguished. Okay. All right. I'm gonna leave it in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, leave it in. Why not? Let's get into it. Let's dig in. Right. Let's, do let's it. dig in. So to recap. Robert Kennedy, Joseph S. Clark, uh, traveling along Route Route 61 to visit locations that uh, Marion Wright had suggested for them, the first being Cleveland, Mississippi. And they arrive at a shotgun house. Now, now, you don't know what a shotgun house is, do you, Allison? Mm. Or do you? I totally do. I just want to quiz you. Sure, Make sure you know that's what it fine. is. A shotgun house uh, is is named um, out of, not because it looks anything like a shotgun, um, but because it is a specific type of house that is basically one long room. Mm-hmm. You open the door, and the reason it's called a shotgun house is because you can put a, you can put a shotgun barrel in the front door and shoot it, and all of your pellets will go out the back door. Okay? Ding, um, ding, ding. You got it right. Yay. There <laughs> you, you Thanks. It. I appreciate it. I tried my best. Um, no, honestly, so didn't know what that was, obviously, and that is shotgun really shacks. <laughs> as the shotgun shacks, as they are called, uh, were very common and still are very common in Mississippi Delta and places like Memphis. And if you once you know what a shotgun shack looks like, you'll start seeing them everywhere. Mm-hmm. They are houses where the minute you walk in, it's a it's one big room. There might be another room for a bedroom, or the one big room in the front might be the bedroom and the living room, and there might be, and the kitchen is in the back. Interesting. Okay, it's t- they're tiny. Mm-hmm. And Robert Kennedy and Joseph S. Clark revived at the shotgun shack in Cleveland, Mississippi, where 15 people are living in the oh same house. God. There's holes in the floors and the ceilings. The walls have no insulation. There's no electricity. There's no running water. Oh, were there babies living yeah. in the house? Oh, it's so pitiful. Whenever Robert Kennedy looks into the uh, refrigerator, he finds one half-empty jar of peanut butter. And when he talks to a young, he talks, he's, he begins talking to children, trying to figure out what they're like. What? Hey, what have you been eating? What have you been eating? Um, some of them say nothing. Um, some of them may have eaten, um, you know, like syrup or you know, sugar or raw sugar cane or just whatever they could find out in this. Out, like you know, we're talking like field greens and things like that. It is a shocking revelation to Robert Kennedy 
um, to see this kind of poverty, to see this kind of degradation. Goes to another home. There's no toilet. The toilet. They have seven people. Seven people living in the house. There's no inside. There's no toilet. And the, the there are roaches all over the floor. Children playing with things on the ground. And he notices a one young child whose stomach is distended, which we know what distended means. It's the things mm-hmm. that you see whenever. You watch videos about, you know, the Congo, right, in Africa, the things that we think don't happen here. And he says, I did not know this kind of thing existed. How can this country allow such a thing to happen? He kind of remarks and talks about how much money the United States spent every year on the things that it spent on, right? I mean, Robert F. Kennedy was a senator, so he, he was, you know, involved heavily in the, like, budget and things like that for the Senate and for the United States, he is just flabbergasted. He keeps driving through and he's getting heckled, by the way. He keeps getting heckled by Mississippi senators saying, you're just, you're not seeing the real, you're not seeing, you're not seeing things. You've been told things. You've been told lies. You've been told lies. And Kennedy and Clark kind of respond with like, I don't think there's a lie big enough to, like, they don't say this exactly, but basically I don't think there's a lie big enough that can cover up what I'm, what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. This like, we've seen it. We've, we've seen enough. On the way back, they're headed towards Clarksdale, Mississippi, uh, from Cleveland. And they stop at a, they, he ended up stopping at a small town called Mound Bayou. Now, listen, guys, unless you live in the South, you don't understand that they're just little towns that have names like Mound Bayou <laughs> and, and Bucksnort, right? Mm-hmm. Um, these are not, whenever we say towns, Allison knows this, we're not talking about municipalities with 500, 600, 700, even 1,000 people. We're talking about little tiny one-light places that might have a gas station or yeah, might have a They have like a McDonald's store. gas station and lots of hay bales. Maybe, basically. maybe. They might not even have that, like the 100 people. The nearest Walmart is like 40 minutes away. At the bigger town, which is 5,000 people. He walks up to the, ha- to another, to the house of a man. No electricity again, no running water, no toilet. And the man's name was actually, the man's name um, was Andrew Andrew Jackson. They exchange pleasantries and things like that. But this this is just, again, he's stopping along. And this, this is to say that he is stopping at just random houses. He's not letting someone guide him through. He doesn't want somebody to show him what he wants to see. He wants to see it for himself. So he's just stopping at random people's houses. And of course they recognize him. They know mm-hmm. his brother. They, they knew his brother. By the time he gets to Clarksdale... Um, there is a crowd of people, thousand, a couple thousand people, uh, mostly black people um, and, and school children who are waiting there uh, to talk to him. He gets up on tops of cars and he says, guys, I, I want to stay here. I want, I want to know more, but I got to get I got to get going. I've got it. I've got a plane to catch in Memphis, but we're going to we're going to fix this. He said, what I have seen today is ridiculous. It, not ridiculous, but it's, it's, it's crazy. And the problems of poverty in the United States, the problems of poverty that I see here are not just your problems. They're the problems of the American people. Mm-hmm. And he flies back to Washington. And he knows that he is a deeply, deep, it is a deeply moving experience for him. Because when he gets back, he is downtrodden. He has several instances where he... Um, he lashes out at his his daughters and his like his children and and just says things like you have no idea how well you live you have no idea the kind of things that i saw the kind of people like telling his like telling his children and his wife that you know i saw children with their tummies who were sticking out who were who were who were emaciated and dying we all have these experiences in our life i think where we witness something that that tears us to our very core and something that maybe we didn't think 
maybe we didn't know existed. Mm -hmm. Maybe we'd rather not know. And for a man who grew up in privilege like Robert Kennedy did, for a man who grew up in a compound, you know, with his millionaire father and his, you know, his politician brothers, can you imagine the kind of emotion that was going through his brain? Yeah. You know, I'm actually, his daughter talked about that in the Ethel documentary made by Rory Kennedy, which is their youngest daughter. And his daughter Kathleen talked about his, when he came back from the visit to the Delta. So I'm going to insert a clip of what she says about it right here. When daddy went down to the Delta... He was just so riveted by the experience. You have lunch. You have lunch yet? He described how the children had distended stomachs and had sores all over their tummy because they didn't have enough to eat. He arrived home just as we were having dinner, clearly moved and emotionally exhausted, I say, from seeing such dire poverty. I remember it was a lovely, a lovely evening and the, the table in our dining room was set. And as you know, we had a really nice dining room with chandeliers and the crystal on the glasses and uh, cook to cook dinner and somebody to serve it. And daddy walked in, I was, I was just there and he said, I, I've just been um, to Mississippi and I've seen a family and he was living in a, room the size of this dining room do you know how lucky you are and he was shaking do you know how lucky you are you have to do something for our country you have to give back so kennedy and clark send basically uh they send a, a report to johnson um and, and say basically like hey we need to we need to provide relief for these people and this is this is i mean this is a this is a knock on johnson um, basically, Johnson, he didn't want to appear to be a socialist or a communist or whatever. He doesn't do anything about it. Uh, he was very uneasy about extending social welfare programs, right? The idea of social welf welfare programs, like he was supportive of social welfare in general, but he didn't want to overextend and be called a communist, right? Because at this time, mm -hmm. we know in the 1950s and 60s, you know, if you were accused of being a communist, you know, political politically, it was terrible. He also hated Bobby and like disagreed with That's him on true. nearly everything. Yeah. 100%. And wanted to disagree with him on nearly everything. Oh, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Basically, they, there, there is then, however, um, a set of hearings um, that, were, that were created to, to basically create media coverage and to create pressure on the Johnson administration and the senators from Mississippi, Stennis and James Eastland, mm -hmm. to do something. Um, Kennedy called all of these doctors and these, these nutrition experts and things like that and called um, – and and to come come forward and talk about the the, the sheer desperation, the, the 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 starvation that was going on, and uh, he expresses how he mad at Johnson. He says Johnson is not doing his job. John, you know, Lyndon B. Johnson is not fighting this war. Is not doing what he needs to be doing for the for the American people. Um, and One Kennedy, thing. Kennedy, was yeah. this? I'm sorry. Was this before? You might not know the exact date of this, but was this before he spoke out against Johnson? I, I talked about it in an episode about the Vietnam War and his stances on the war, or was this? After? I'm not entirely sure. It this probably would have been before. This that was probably would have been 68. Yeah. Well, this was in July of 1967. Yeah. So I'm surprised. Actually, Bobby was kind of trying to stay on his good side for if he ran you know, a presidential campaign and whatnot and didn't really want to speak out against him. So I'm surprised. It must have touched Bobby pretty deeply to speak out against Johnson in a way before he spoke out before the Vietnam yeah. War. Is what I was saying. So, or before his stance of the Vietnam War. So 
this actually does lead to a lot of like, but this, this thing that the, the media coverage that he brings, it, it actually does a whole lot of good. Um, he's able to amend uh, the Economic Opportunity Act of 1964. Uh, the media coverage and the public backlash against this is immediate and swift. People are, you would be surprised when people are put face to face with suffering. Mm-hmm. And I think that I'm going to make a little bit of a connection and I'm going to say some things that it's very similar in regard to what we saw last summer with the recordings of the murder of George Floyd. Um, I think the reason that you finally saw a dam burst and people come out and just be really sort of like their minds were changed or maybe their, or they were enough for them to get out was because they saw Mm -hmm. it. Couldn't look away from it or ignore it. You couldn't look. I mean, you and I, I mean, I don't know if you've watched the whole thing. I watched the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And okay. it made me deeply, un, it made me deeply sad. Oh, yeah. It deeply affected me uh, and and changed my mind on a lot of things. Yeah, it's it, it made me It made me think about things in a different way. And so the, this exact same effect happens to the people of the United States. They, the, the idea of Americans starving to people who, who are patriotic mm-hmm. was, I think, just, I think it just made them sick. I'm actually really glad you made that connection because I noticed when I was reading a little bit about the visit that someone who was there made the observation of Bobby that he was kind of shy, reserved to himself. He wasn't this like he didn't put himself or make himself seem like this really boisterous um, politician. He really like reserved himself to when he was on his visit to the Delta and he really um, listened. It was very noted that he mm-hmm. st- he asked a lot of questions. He didn't give advice. He didn't do anything stupid like that. He literally sat back and listened. And I think that that was such a cry for help from the entire Black Lives Matter movement continues to be and from everything that did happen last summer. Just freaking listen to us, please. Yeah. And I feel like Bobby really personified that even in 67 in a different way and with a different um, group, but he did what you have to do when you want to fight with somebody or you want to help somebody or you want to be an ally as he listened. And I just think that that's yeah. really um, something to look up to. I agree. And because of this, like because of, because of this, one of the most direct results was the poor people's March on Washington led by Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a direct, the poor people's March on Washington was a direct result of the media coverage of this of these hearings. But the, I think the legacy of it is even better, is that by the 1970s, by 1975, the United States had actually, through programs, through, through nutrition programs, through food insecurity programs, through deliberate action, had, and most historians agree on this, virtually eliminated hunger in America. To this day, we actually have virtually eliminated hunger in America. That's incredible. We have... In some ways, the opposite problem now, right? You go to these places in the in the Delta. You go to these places in, in poor areas, and it's not so much that people are starving; it's that they're not eating the right. They can't. They don't have mm-hmm. access to the right kinds of food, and so they are they're they're developing diseases of malnutrition in the opposite way. And that's another story for another day. And and that is that's. I would that's love for Caroline to talk about that kind of stuff too. Uh, she mean. absolutely would. And I think that again, organizations like the one Caroline works for you know, are direct results of this kind of, of this kind of necessity of the kind of things that still go on. And by the way, guys, just because, I mean, they, so CBS aired a a documentary right after this called Hunger in America, really, which brought a lot of focus to this. But to this day, there are still um, huge problems of, of, uh, you know, obesity now and 
you can eat you can eat as much as you want to, but if the food you're eating doesn't have real nutritional value, you can have the same exact problems as if your belly is you know distended and you and you look and you look ama- and you are emaciated as you do whenever you eat too much of processed highly processed sugar filled food. And so in one way, the one one problem was replaced for another. But the fact that we have, I think the United, but the United States has eliminated hunger largely and because of the actions of Robert Kennedy 50, 50 years ago. And I think that's an admirable thing. That that's was an incredible a, thing. And it's crazy how glazed over this is in general or in the Kennedy legacy as a whole. I mean, you, you hear tidbits about this visit and you hear little bits about yeah. Bobby fighting for this. But I mean, good Lord, what a feat that this man literally put boots to the ground. And that's incredible, you know? Well, and I think it's an, I think it should be taken as an example to more politicians. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that like, if you're a politician, even no matter, I don't care where you're from, but especially, and this is, by the way, I'm a fairly liberal person. But one of the things that I cannot stand, I'm a liberal person from a rural area. I wouldn't mm-hmm. call myself a, a Democrat. I wouldn't call myself a, 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 a progress, not a progressive. I call myself a progressive, but I wouldn't call myself a far left. Um, I, I'm really more middle ground. But I'm from rural America, and mm-hmm. I love rural America. I, I also hate rural America, but I'm allowed to because that's where I'm from, and I am allowed to to say that I love it and I hate it for a lot of for almost sometimes the same reasons, and. Um, what I will tell you is that one of the things that I think we could do with more of is politicians who grew up in cities coming out to rural America to where to, to the countryside and seeing how people actually live their lives. And the same thing goes for you know politicians who didn't who grew up in the who grew up in the suburbs and the countryside going into cities and seeing how people actually live. Um, I think one of the biggest issues that we're facing today is a lack of awareness about how other people live. And so what do we do? We dehumanize them. Mm-hmm. If you don't know how somebody else has lived, you're going and you equate people down to the country music in their boots and the and their and and racism, and you quote unquote and you just say that's who they are. It becomes a whole lot easier to hate them, and it becomes a whole lot easier to be to be mean to them, and it becomes a whole lot easier to say I don't care about their feelings or their thoughts. Robert Kennedy went down to the Delta and saw what was happening firsthand, and so. Yeah, I think this is an example, something that we need to take into the 21st century, into the 2020s. Politicians need to be doing this more. And hell, hello, listeners of Kennedy Dynasty. If you're politically minded people, if you're people who really like believe in like systems of government, and since you're Kennedy fans, I think you probably do, um, get out of where you're from and go to places that you're not from. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about tourism. I'm not talking about like if you're from New York City going down to New Orleans, right? That's not the that's not the that's the South, but that's not what we're talking about. I'm saying right. find go take a tour of the little small towns and the tiny places. You're not going to get run out with pitchforks. Mm-hmm. And if you're and the same thing, the same thing. If you're from the little tiny places and, and pitchforks, get out of your get out of where you're from and get and go see the other the yeah. other parts of the world. It's You've just got to. so hard humanistically for us to separate ourselves from what we see day to day and have mm-hmm. empathy for people in other regions or in other situations right. or other places. But honestly, at the end of the day, people are people. I mean, you have to put yourself in other people's shoes and think, what if that was my grandma or my yeah. baby or my whatever? Yeah. Like, it's just wild to me, the amount of people that don't put themselves in other people's shoes. And I'm even at fault for it sometimes as well, because it's natural to be that way and to look out 100%. for ourselves, but we have to look out for our neighbors as well and think about other people. And like you said, go see it firsthand and have that empathy instilled in you because you can't look it in the eye and not have it. You know, I 100% agree. I live in a city. 
right? I don't, I, but I am from rural America. But I will offer my services if on Instagram, whatever, however you want to communicate with Kennedy Dynasty, if you're interested in taking a tour of the Delta, if you're interested in going to, to places like Clarksdale and, and Greenville, I'd be more than happy. Carolyn and I would be more than happy to give you, if, if, they send, if you send it through Allison and we can give you some suggestions of places to go, things you need to see, um, and also some of the best restaurants. I won't put them, I won't say them on here. Because I want you to contact Allison if you really care about it and if you really want to take a trip. But I can put you onto the best restaurant that you will ever have in your entire life. And I will bet money on it that I can tell you what the best restaurant that you will ever have is. And you will love it. And you will, and, and, there, and there are so many things, rich cultural things about this place that deserve to be seen. I've sent a couple people to the Delta and given them some, some, some downs. And I'm not from the Delta. And my, Caroline works in the Delta, so she knows a lot more about it than I do. But what I will say is... I think it would be worth it to to, re, to if for some of you, those of you who are interested, in, especially in Robert Kennedy's life, um, to go down and see some of the things that he saw. Um, either way, I'd be happy to give some recommendations if that's something of interest to you. Yeah, send them to me. DM them. Well, Pryor, I'm so glad that you joined me for this. I have learned a lot, and I appreciate you bringing this to our listeners. Can't wait for the day that Caroline joins us and tells yes. us all about her organization that she works with and, and all that she does. I, I want to say that you know I that I think this episode was a little bit more serious than we than we often do, it was. right? I mean, we it was, and uh, I think that's a good thing feels. though. You, I think, well, I think it needs to be. Yeah. Um, you can't joke about stuff like this. This is no. this is like this is the real stuff. This is the real stuff. This is the mm-hmm. th- this is the things that keep people up at night. This is the, this was a life changing moment in Robert Kennedy's career. His family says that everything shifted after the visit to the Delta. Everything. Like everything. everything. Like Seminal what, how moment. How he viewed things, how he ran his campaigns, his persona. I mean, he was just oh, a different man. Yeah. Poverty tours became a huge part of Robert Kennedy's political stance after this. He would mm-hmm. go to places deliberately to, to, to make sure that he was talking to people who needed the most help. Right. And I wish he would become president. But oh, Me too. Say la vie. Well, you guys, thank you so much for listening. Please rate it five stars or as a positive written review, and I will talk to you guys next week. Come on and vote for Kennedy. Vote for Kennedy. Keep America strong. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up. This is Peter. And this is Tom. We want to tell you guys a little bit about our podcast. Tom and I met in college, became best friends, and then teachers almost 20 years ago. Sometimes school just does not allow us to elaborate on the topics that we find interesting, like the real shark attacks that inspired the movie Jaws, or the real historical context to Indiana Jones artifacts. Where does cereal come from? Or are zombies real? Does Ben Franklin really deserve to be on a $100 bill? On our podcast, just like in our class, there are no stupid questions. Just two friends having a lighthearted conversation about history, pop culture, and the context of current events. Listen to History Teachers Talking Podcast from Evergreen Network, anywhere you get your podcasts.